Amen. The message today, moving right along this morning, aren't we? Well, I thought we were. <laughs> How many of you know where home is for you? Anybody? Everybody know where home is? Well, you know, home, I, I was doing a little research on that. Home is, uh, is different to a lot of people. Sharon and I drove by our, our house that we owned down in Arcadia the other day, and I thought, I, remember, I thought that place was bigger than what it really is now. You know, I thought, I, I went back to my mother's this past week, the end of the week, and, and was there seeing her to see how she's doing. And uh, she's a real sweetheart. She's mean as ever, but nonetheless, no, I'm kidding. You know, she hates it when I say that. So, Mom, you forgive me if you can find it in your heart. But I remember six kids, mom and dad, that's a grand total of, y'all come on now, eight, one bathroom, three boys, three girls, mom and dad, one bathroom, and all of us are still alive. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I go back to that and I thought, well, this is home. Sharon was talking the other day, one of the grand, couple of the grandkids were at the house. And she said, you know, I think I'm going to sell this house. And one of them spoke up and said, no, you're not. We've lived there for whatever Sharon says that amount of time. 25 years, 26 years, 20 something. And she said, no, you can't. Grammy, this is your house. So as a 12 year old, her whole life, Graham's house is right there 2209 Malachite Drive and don't you dare think about selling it because this is where we come when we come to Graham's house there's no place like home we sing songs that are interesting about home you know there's no place like home for the holidays and then here's another popular one I'll be home for Christmas. See how this one touches your heart. Here we go.
Amen. Amen. Two girls and a boy trio. Wonderful, wonderful. Nothing uh, moves the heart uh, like the word home. When we traveled, we uh, drive a lot and we had an opportunity to fly a lot. And when you fly overseas and you go through some of the challenges that you go through, when you get back uh, almost anywhere, uh, whether it's LaGuardia or Miami um, and uh, New York, in other words, when you're coming back and you've crossed over the pond out there and you finally get home, you say, man, it is so good to be back home. There is no place like America, no place like home. God, thank you so very, very much. It's a moving experience. There's very little, of course, that we do when we go back home. Some of you may be going back to, to your homestead where you were raised for Christmas or something of that nature. But often uh, families get together, it's what should happen, and you gather around the table and family, um, family tell stories about one another. It is a no holds barred at my family. And as it relates to my brothers and sisters, there are more stories. There are more stories that they tell. There are truths. There are half truths and then flat out lies for what I'm concerned. And some of the things that they tell, but it invokes a laughter. And then when you get our kids together and they begin, that would be Sherry, Tim, and Lori. And they start telling their stories Often, often, Tim is the one who is the, is the one that's beat up on with Lori and Sherry. And uh, they tell the stories. And as a parent, and you hear the grandkids, and as a parent, you sit back. And you're not really concerned with the story. What you're, what you're happy about is you see the interaction between one another. You see the love that takes place. Now, family gatherings, of course, are, are meant to be that way. I want to let you know that God is preparing us because we're all going to go home one day, soon and very soon. I thought about my neighbor. Here's what I do know, that whether we believe it or not, today is a special Sunday. It's that Sunday before Christmas 2020. But every minute that we breathe, every hour that we live, God is taking us one step closer to the rapture of the church one step closer to calling us home. And some he called my neighbor home during the night last night, unaware, no problems or challenges. But for some, when they go home, it's a challenge. I had a friend who went back home with his family at Thanksgiving. He said, man, I was there for four days. And when I got back, I had to get in a two-hour therapy session. Two solid hours. It just, I mean, he said it's just unbelievable. Two, two hours of, of therapy. Well, we know that in us is a spiritual being. If you believe that, say amen. In you is something God created as a follower of Christ that draws you to the Father. And in you as a non-believer, no matter how much you turn your back, on God, on the church, there is still something in you that God created that you will never get rid of. And it is that gentle touch, some call it conviction, 
that you know that draws you back to what it means you need to honor God. And you know, there's nothing more miserable for a person who's running away from home. An individual that knows where they ought to be in God, knows where home is. They understand the principle. They understand what it means to have the benefit and the privilege of being called a child of God. And when that person begins to veer away from what God called them to be, there's nothing more miserable. I'm here to tell you there will never be a rock you'll get under, but what you won't find God already there. There'll never be a hole that you get into, but what you won't find at the bottom, the presence of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's never the height of great success that God will give you without you'll not see the majesty of Almighty God. Everywhere you go, you will see our great creator, our heavenly father, and you'll see the blood of Jesus Christ, my friend, which means, okay, God, what is home? Is it a dwelling? No. Home is not a dwelling. Home is, in fact, a relationship. The parents, of course, should create a home, the dwelling of their children, that ought to be the classroom, the primary classroom, whereby our children and our grandchildren learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that they learn the truth about God's Word, and the Bible says that we're to love the Lord God with all of our heart, strength, and everything that is within us. That was the writings of Moses as he told the people, be sure that, be sure in your place of dwelling that you teach these young people the value. He said, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gate, Deuteronomy 6, 6. What is he saying? Be sure that you're always about the Father's business. Our homes, that place of safety, that place of encouragement ought to be God-soaked, God-saturated, and God-loving. Home is su supposed to be that place where we are safe. The psalm said, of course, in Psalms 84, 3, even the sparrows found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her, have her young. Back in the day of Genesis, you know the story of Noah and the ark. It says after they'd been in that ark for a while, they took the dove and let the dove out the window up there, Genesis 8 and 9. She could not find a place to rest the sole of her feet. The Hebrew word expression for that is that she could not find a place to rest. The dove was released. There was nothing visible to that dove that she could, in fact, land on. And Noah said, it's not time. The water's not receded enough because that dove cannot land anywhere. Someone asked the family, where's your favorite room in the house? Now, just for the sake of participation, on three, I'm going to ask you to Shout out your favorite room in the house. Are you ready? Are you ready? One. Dos. Three. You're right. Most people say the kitchen. 
Some of you have new stoves that's never been used. You could say to your car, go to the drive-thru at McDonald's, and it would crank up and go. It knows the way. But when women were asked that question in a survey, here's what they said. My favorite room in the house is the bathroom. Why do you think that is? The story goes, I can lock myself up in the bathroom and not be bothered. I can be in there and do my face, plug my eyebrows, do all that I, I want to do and be safe. And if you knock on the door, beware. The bathroom, the place that we call home, some of the funniest stories that we have about one another took place at home. So where is home for you? Where is home as it relates to a Christian believer? that place where we're welcome. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But he created a place called paradise for Adam and Eve. Adam, and now listen, thank you over here. I'm getting good response. <laughs> but over here, it was Adam and thank you. Over to my left, it was weak. Back there, it was strong. Adam and Eve. It was to be their eternal home. It was to be where they enjoyed fellowship with God. All their needs would be met. Never going to be any sickness there. Always going to have plenty to eat. But the old serpent came through and messed everything up. And as a result, sin was committed. And we find that that perfect place that they called an eternal home, paradise, was ruined. And through the whole testament, through the whole testament, we read stories of the consequence of paradise or the Garden of Eden being destroyed. Sin came in. Adam and Eve, their job responsibilities changed. And we find that generation after generation, it got more and more difficult. Home got to the place where there was trouble and error and difficulty and never any satisfaction. And we find that sin continued to function in the forefront. And that was difficult all because someone did not appreciate what it meant to have a perfect place to enjoy. Sin came in because of Adam and Eve. Psalms 90 says, of course, about Moses. It talks about Moses and his home. And we notice that there it says Moses really never had a place. Remember, Jesus never had a place to lay his head. But Moses kind of never had a rock-solid place. You know, know when he was born and placed in reeds and placed on the river there and Members of Pharaoh's household picked him up, and he was raised in Pharaoh's household. And then you know that uh, he began to realize through his mom, who was his caregiver there, but not at home in Pharaoh's household. And, and he had an individual that was threatening, and so he killed that individual, and as a result, had to flee and went to the Midian Desert. 
And there he resided for a number of years. And then God shows up in a burning bush and he's on the move again. And he said, I want you to leave this place, go back to Egypt and bring your people out of slavery. He goes back. He has to face Pharaoh. Forty years they wandered around in the wilderness, never having a necessary place to say, this is home. He says, okay, the promised land, but that didn't work out. Took him to Mount Pisgah and he looked over into the promised land and God said, you're not going in there. He died. No place that he could really say, that place, that was my home. And Moses comes with these words. Lord, and we don't understand them. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all the generations. Psalms 90 verse 1. Here's what he says. God, you are our home in you not a house not a town but to be with God is to be at home to sit down in the throne room of God and your soul is at peace your spirit is at rest no no bills out there of of different social activities that you've been engaged in. It's all under the blood. And God says, Psalms 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and he is my fortress. He is my home. God, there's something I feel when I come into your presence. There's something that my heart celebrates to know that in me is not a physical place, but is the person that is there, and it's you, Almighty God. That longing that is in my spirit is satisfied, even when I sing, in the presence of Jehovah, there's something about that song that lyric but there's a problem we want to be at home we want peace we want to say God is my God and I love him but here's what happens sometimes we have a little problem with obedience now I know that there are many parents we had what's called and our kids were being raised House rules. How many know what that is? House rules. Kids, they got up. We said you're going to be in, in the house back then, 11 o'clock. That's it. Now, I know that's unheard of today. It's like 1 or 1.30. But I knew that if anything was going to happen, a violence or criminal activity was going to happen after midnight, I wanted our kids at 11. But you know what? Here's what I know. Sometimes they did not understand that. And you have to have a coaching session. How many know what that means? Now, let me tell you about those coaching sessions. 
You don't promise that the consequence will take place. And then when they violate the family rule, you fail to follow through with what you promised. You can write that down, put on Facebook, Ichabod, Instagram, all of them. Because when you do, you give permission for someone like some of you <laughs> to say, I got away once. I wonder where the real line is. Y'all with me? So we had rules that were there and and the kids, for the most part, it violated only one of them. Had to go spend the night in a hotel one night because they did not want to, to understand the rule and it had been the second or third offense. And if that's the way you want to deal, that's how we deal here at the M. Wayne Blackburn and Sharon Diane Blackburn household. My dad used to say, if you're going to put your feet under my table, you're going to do what I say. How many understand? My brother's here. That's the way it was. Now, if you did things that he didn't want you to do, you prayed that God will give you favor and grace that he would never find out. So we had family rules, and so here's what happens. God said, if you want to be at home with me, and you want the peace that passes all understanding, there are some guidelines. And he said, and if you violate the guidelines, you decide you want to be stubborn, you want to be rebellious, that, that you don't want to live in a way that brings pleasure to God. And after all, that's why we were created, to bring pleasure to our Heavenly Father. If you don't want to do that, he said, then I'll just let you run like you want to run. And here's what we always found out. God is never hurt by our failure. We're always the one that hurts from the consequence of our rebellion and disobedience. And God never says, I told you so. So he said, I want you to enjoy home, but I want you to pay attention. If you're going to honor me, I want you to understand the power of obedience. I want you to understand that. Here's something else. There's a story that Jesus told of the prodigal who illustrated this, who, who got fed up with dad because dad didn't know anything anymore. He's smarter than dad. Dad's behind. Dad doesn't even know how to use his cell phone. He doesn't know how to get on the computer. He doesn't understand what it means to get an email. Dad's an old fuddy-dud. He does not understand. And I'm the young and upcoming son, and my brother over there, he's so nose deep in the dirt trying to harvest crops, he doesn't understand the lingo that I understand. So, hey, Dad, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to Publix and draw out all my stock, and I want to cash it in, and I want to live my life the way I want to live. Done. You know the story. He goes out. He has a grand old time. A grand old time. And then he gets in the pig pen. 
mm, all those wonderful smells in a pig's pen, and he wakes up, and he realizes the servants at my dad's place have it better than I have it. And then he thinks, I think maybe I'll go home, but I can't go home as a son because I trashed my inheritance. Maybe I can go home as a servant, go back home. Maybe I can earn my way back in. Maybe he'll give me a spot on the plow team. And when he went home, he saw something that surprised him. What he did not know is that his father had been to the edge of the property every day a couple times looking for the boy to come back home. And one day he looked up and here comes the prodigal son. And the dad threw his arms around him and hugged him and gave him a wonderful banquet meal. Listen carefully. God loves us so much that he's constantly saying to the rebellious and to the resistant and saying to the one that takes him for granted, come on back home. Come on back into the family. You're not going to be treated adversely around my table. Please make your way back to the love of the Heavenly Father. It's amazing. Ray Vanderland tells a story, and every story that Jesus told often talked about home. And in the story, he talks about the way it was with young couples. He said, marriage is when two dads would get together, and the dad of the son who wants to be married Usually the young Jewish boys in that day, they would be in their early 20s. And the young ladies would be 14 or 15 years of age. And, and the dads would get together and say, all right, now what, what's, uh, what's it going to take? What are we going to have to give you for your daughter's hand for my son? And they worked out the arrangement. She was bought with a great price. But they lived in that day in what's called an insula. An insula, it's like rooms around a, a courtyard. And they had the water and they had the feeding troughs for the animals. They had their barbecue pits. They had all out there in the insula. And, and people lived in the houses, the rooms around that, big fire and there'd be stacks of them, and it was generational housing. So what that means is, if you're a son and you brought your wife back, you lived with, in that compound, I'll use that word, with your parents as the male. She, of course, hopefully she liked her mom and pa-in-law because that's where she's going to live. And she lived there, and that's just the way it was. But when that moment took place, that the son would ask for the hand and they negotiated the price. The boy's father would say, all right, son, let's go back. Let's go back home and let's add another room, another space for you and your bride. And the boy would say, listen, sweetheart, 
I've got to leave, but I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back. So you get ready, pay attention, get your bridesmaids, get your dress, get the food, get all that goes with it. Because when I come back, when I get the room built for us, someone's going to come into town with a chauffeur and it's going to sound and you're not going to have any time to start finding out who your bridesmaids are then. I'm coming in the town in the parade. And you're going to have to be ready to go when I get there. And so he went back and he'd start on that room. And you know, an anxious young groom, he's ready to get the thing done. Dad, is today the day? No, can't go today, son. We don't have it right. Son, we're not today. We, don't, we didn't square off in some of the rooms and we got to redo that. It, it's got to be right. But dad, I'm ready to go get her. That may be what you feel, son, but we can't go until, until this room is ready. Until it's ready. I'll let you know when it gets ready. I'll let you know that. Just keep working instead. Finally, dad would say, son, it's time. Go get your bride. And that boy would get his team together with his horns. There was no texting, I'll be there in three days. There was no emails, I'm two hours away. There was no communication. She did not know that they were there until she heard the sound of that chauffeur or that trumpet. And when she heard the sound of that trumpet, she knew it's my time to go. Christmas is a bridge that was made by the cross that said to the unworthy, that said to the lost, that said to the rebellious, that said to those who take him for granted, that said to every king and every president, when my trumpet sounds, not even the graves are going to hold my people back. Hallelujah. Not even the graves are going to hold my people back. Jesus begins to tell this story to his disciples, and he said, I'm about to leave. Going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. They said, no. They've learned a custom. Jesus is in their heart. They've understood, hey, when you're here, we're safe. When you're here, when you're here, we're at peace. When you're here, we're not worried. When you're here, we know there's power. When you're here, we know that, that, that the phenomenal, phenomenal, miraculous things can happen, Jesus. And now you say that you're leaving, and they became disturbed over that. And that's when he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house 
are many mansions. That are many mansions, and that word mansion is rooms. In the original, there are many rooms that are there that I prepared for you. So boys, sit tight. Believe the things that I have taught you. Honor me. Stay ready. The church is the bride of Christ. Stay ready. And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. So this Christmas, be prepared to go home. Home is that person that we call the Savior. When you go to your physical dwelling today, and when and wherever you gather on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve or the day after or whenever you do it, remember that it's not found in the four walls of anything. It's found when you know that the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And you can sing that old hymn, it is well with my soul for one day. Hallelujah. John said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, now the dwelling of God is with human beings and he will live with them forever. Christmas, Christmas, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you prepared, Lord Jesus, you left, it is true. And when you left, there's a mansion that's prepared for all of us. But God, here's what we know. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to enjoy that home relationship with you, Jesus. To love you is to be with you, and we're at home in your presence. And this morning, what we would like to do is just tidy up a little bit and Get rid of some of the things that we know that we haven't been as faithful in. And, and reestablish some new disciplines that we have avoided. And just kind of bring to the, to the forethought of our mind that we have really been living on borrowed time. Not counting that you're going to come today, but this morning. We want you to know we are ready. And we believe once again that this could be the day. This could be the moment. This could be the hour 
This could be the time when we hear the sound of the trumpet and we hear the voice, come on back home. Father God, give us peace that passes understanding and give us an anointing. And for those of you that are listening in this room and those of you that are watching online, may I encourage you, listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Let God speak to you in an indelible way that you deal with you. You see, there's one thing the prodigal could not do. He couldn't do anything about his life. He couldn't do anything about working his way back into the home. He couldn't do anything. It was up to the father. And the father had no problem whatsoever saying to his creation, even though his creation, his son, had disobeyed and sowed a bunch of wild oats, daddy still loved his boy and said, come on back in and let's kill the fatted calf. And there may be some now or some at home watching or watching later, they've lost their way. Let them see the Father with his arms outstretched, drawing their heart to him today, saying, come on back home. You don't have to do anything except acknowledge me as Father, his Savior. So God, we're going to pray this prayer, and we ask you now, let strong peace come from our acts of obedience. Would you repeat this prayer? Here we go. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being with me. When I avoided you. When I avoided you. When I turned a deaf ear. When I turned a deaf ear. When I was rebellious. When I was rebellious. When I didn't pay any attention. When I didn't pay any attention. When you were not first. When you were not first. You still did not give up. You still did not give and up. And I acknowledge you. And I acknowledge you. I acknowledge your act. I acknowledge your that act. has redeemed me. That has redeemed me. So come into my heart, so come into my heart. Cleanse, me of all unrighteousness cleanse me of all unrighteousness, and create in me, and create in me a, pure heart. a pure heart. Father God, Father God my, heart my heart is my gift to you, my gift to you. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together and let's thank the Lord. Would you stand? Amen. Just enjoy. We're praying. Believe me, have a great time. Do not forget Christmas Eve. It is a monument. We have put a lot of plans. And we just believe it's going to be easy for the Holy Spirit to move. But here's what's most important. It's his birthday. I want to acknowledge him. Amen. I love you, everybody. Say hello to as many people as you can. Do it in a, in a gentle way. God bless you. And Merry Christmas, everybody.